The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning again. It's great to see you all here on this beautiful uh, summer day. Well, you know, there are lots of awkward moments in life. Um, there, and we've all had them, haven't we? We've all had awkward moments from time to time. There's that awkward moment when you come home from a first date and, and you realize that you have food in your teeth from the very first course and nobody told you about it. There's that awkward moment where you think you see somebody you know and you start to wave at them only to realize that it's not somebody that you know and you have to kind of retract your hand really fast. There's that awkward moment when you send a text to the wrong person. There's an awkward moment when you're walking downstairs with another person and you think you've reached the last step, but there's one more and you just take a huge tumble. And then there's that awkward moment when you show up at church on a Sunday and you find out that the pastor's going to be talking about human sexuality in his sermon. I got to tell you, though, this is not nearly as as uncomfortable for me as the last time I talked about sex in a sermon because my parents decided to show up that weekend (laughs) and come to church. So this is way easier. Now, I'm sure that this topic feels a little uncomfortable to, to some of the people who are here today, maybe everybody who's here today, but it's important for us to address it in church because this topic, it's, it's one of the most significant ones in the human experience. And it's something that God talks about a lot of times throughout, throughout Scripture. Today's message comes to us courtesy, as we've been talking about, of the seventh commandment. We've been doing this Love Rules series where we're looking at the Ten Commandments through the lenses of love and freedom because that's how God's Word is teaching us how to look at them. And it turns out that these very ancient commandments still have a lot of relevance for us today. So let's read the very short Seventh Commandment together. And then we'll read another passage as well as we've been doing throughout this series. Exodus Chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And now let's skip ahead and read about a story of a woman who actually broke this command many, many centuries later. In John, mostly John chapter 8, but it begins right at the beginning of John, right at the end of John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 53 says, Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first 
to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Lord, I, th- I, I thank you for this word, and though, though it's hard and though it's awkward to, to talk about it this morning, I believe that you have an important word for us. I believe there's something in this message for every single person who's here today. So Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the message that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's nothing like a sex scandal to get the public attention, isn't there? This is true in our day. Just watch what happens in the media if somebody has an affair, if it's an athlete or a politician, or especially if it's some church leader, right? It was also true 2,000 years ago when the scribes and Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus and turn the public against him. They knew that there was nothing like a good old sex scandal to get everybody into a stir, Now, they knew that Jesus himself would never give in to such a temptation. And so they devised another plan, one that would make him have to choose between the compassion that he seemed so fond of and God's law, which he was required to uphold. Late one evening, they seized this young woman they'd caught in the act of adultery. We don't know the circumstances that led this woman into the arms of another man, We just know that she was found there and that there were witnesses who could testify to this. Can you imagine the humiliation and the shame that this woman would have felt? That night that she had been captured, it was a long night. She was being held by the religious leaders in her city. It probably felt like the darkness was just enclosing around her. What are they going to do in the morning? I'm sure she wondered. She knew that anyone caught in the act of adultery, uh, she knew what what the penalty was for that. She knew that both participants, male and female, were to be killed. They were to be stoned. But, you know, the, the men that, that captured her didn't really seem too interested in her lover, did they? For they only took her. What's going to happen in the morning? Finally, after an eternity, day broke. The sun came up over Jerusalem. Never before had the dawning of a new day felt so cruel to this woman. It was the day of her reckoning. The men grabbed her and they took her out into the city. They took her near the temple and they waited in the shadows. How long was this going to take? How long would it take for justice to come to her? Well, then all of a sudden, the city became all all in a stir. People started saying, he's coming. Jesus is coming. And so they watched, and Jesus came, and he began to teach at the temple. And that's when it happened. That's when the men who had captured her took her by the arm, and they drug her out into daylight, and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. 
They were making a huge scene. I wonder if this woman knew that she was being used as a pawn. That the scribes and Pharisees were using her to trap Jesus. Their callous and demeaning treatment of her was all a ploy to put Jesus in a situation that he could not get out of. Surely she knew what was coming. Jesus was a rabbi, and it was a rabbi's job to know and uphold the law. They're going to stone me, she thought. I hope I die quickly. This this story, it highlights the grave consequences for people who broke the seventh commandment in ancient times. It was a capital offense. Anytime a married person had sexual relations outside of their marriage, and at least two witnesses could testify to it, then death was the sentence. It's quite possible that this woman wasn't even married yet, that she was only engaged to be married But this, too, would have been a breach of the seventh commandment. In fact, the only time the Old Testament specifies that stoning is the method of execution was when a woman who was engaged to be married slept with another man. And both offenders, as I mentioned earlier, were supposed to be judged for this crime, which the scribes and Pharisees had apparently forgotten You know, last week I pointed out that whenever God gives us a command, he always has a reason for it. When he gives us a prohibitive command like this one, he's not doing it just to be mean or just to exercise authority over us, but he does it because there is something positive that he wants to protect. And in the case of this commandment, God is protecting marriage. One of the most important ways that we can love our neighbors is to honor and to protect, and to support their marriages. And reciprocally, our neighbors can love us by honoring and protecting our marriage as well. God profoundly cares about marriage. I performed a wedding ceremony yesterday, and whenever I perform a wedding ceremony, I talk about the biblical meaning of marriage. I say that marriage is a covenant relationship that was established by God at the time of creation. It was given for the well-being of human society, for the nurturing and raising of children, for the ordering of family life, that it is a close and enduring union that signifies the holy and mysterious union of Christ with his church. I say that God gave us marriage for the full expression of love between one man and one woman, and, and that in marriage... A husband and a wife belong to each other, and they freely give themselves to each other. With marriage, there is a commitment that no other human relationship can match. It has an intimacy that's emotional and spiritual as well as physical. So to God, sex is not just an activity. It is an expression of the intimate covenant union between husband and wife. This is why God prohibits adultery. God wants to protect marriage. Not just our own marriages, but also the marriages of others, of our neighbors, those that he's calling us to love, those that the commandments 5 through 10 are telling us to love when it tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. When a person breaks this command, it not only damages our marriage, but it also 
damages the marriages of others. And God doesn't want this for us. Well, the woman who'd been brought before Jesus had committed adultery. She was guilty. And the men who had brought her there were ready to execute justice. And that's when Jesus turned the tables on them. He bent down and he started to write on the ground. And then after a short amount of time, he, he stood back up and he said, let anyone who's among you who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he bent down and he started writing in the dirt again. What was he writing? There's been all sorts of suggestions. He was writing a list of sins. He was writing a list of names. He was writing scripture. The woman could not see. She didn't know what he was writing, but all she knew is that stones were beginning to drop around her. One by one, the men who were so eager to execute her were dropping their implements of judgment and they were walking away, lowering their heads. All the while, Jesus just kept writing. Now, some of them stayed a little bit longer, the the younger ones, and I'm sure they were just flashing these angry and confused looks at those who were walking away. But soon, their countenance fell and they too dropped their stones and they walked away. No one was innocent. No one was sin-free. No one could cast that stone. You know, Jesus has a way of leveling the playing field. One of the most striking comments that he ever made was in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about this commandment. We're going to put this up on the screen and and show his teaching about this from Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So avoiding the physical act of adultery is not enough for Christ. Once again, he cuts to the heart of the issue and he says that our integrity is already compromised if we have looked looked on somebody with lust. You know, lust has become an accepted norm in our society, hasn't it? It's around every corner. It's the click of a mouse away. It's becoming increasingly difficult to live out the true spirit of this commandment, isn't it? Our commercials, our movies, our our music, even our friends and sometimes our role models are telling us to find ultimate fulfillment in an activity, in physical intimacy with another person. Sex has become a counterfeit God in our society. If you've been here for our previous weeks, then you might recall that we create counterfeit gods whenever we take a good thing and we make it our ultimate thing. Whenever we take something that, that is good and we make it our ultimate source of meaning in life, then we have created a counterfeit God. How often do humans look to sex to fulfill their deepest needs? G.K. Chesterton famously said that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. You know, I believe that our cultural obsession with sex is a window into a much deeper spiritual need. 
We're longing for transcendence. We're longing for something beautiful. And we're looking to an act or a fleeting image to fill a void that only an eternal God can fill. Frederick Buechner has written this. Lust is the craving for salt of a man who is dying of thirst. Think about that one for a second. If we keep looking to sex to fulfill our greatest desires, then we are going to live lives that are completely unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Physical intimacy is not God. It cannot give us, it cannot provide for us what God can. Now, with that being said, I want to come back and say that sex is not bad. Perhaps some of you were expecting me to say that today, but it's not. I'm not going to say it. In fact, I'm going to say this. Sex was God's idea. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) It's part of his good creation. He invented it. Check out what uh, Genesis 2 says, verses 24 to 25. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is a picture of intimacy before the fall. That is a picture uh, of life before sin entered our world. And it's a beautiful thing. It talks about this physical intimacy with no shame attached to it. But as with all good things, this very good thing can be misused. And when it is misused, it only leads to brokenness and pain. There are so many ways that intimacy with a spouse can be broken can be broken, as we read earlier, with these lustful thoughts or lustful desires for those outside of marriage. It can be broken with an intense emotional bond to somebody who is not your spouse. And it can be broken with a full-fledged affair. And those who are single aren't off the hook either because Scripture calls those who are single to live in chastity and to protect their future marriage and the future marriage of their would-be partner. Believe me, I know that this is countercultural. It absolutely is. No one said this would be easy. Just as it was with the other commandments, especially with the one on murder last week, as you begin to open up the full trajectory of that commandment, it becomes really hard to imagine that there is anybody here who hasn't broken this commandment in some way, Right? which means that we ought to be careful about judging others for their sexual behavior. Christians are really good at that, aren't we? We're really good at pointing the finger at other people and judging them, but we got to be careful because what's the old saying? When you're pointing a finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you. We ought to be careful. My grandfather, the one I talked about a few weeks ago, who was a Navy chaplain and he was there at Iwo Jima when the flag was raised, uh, he had all these sayings that he, that he was famous for. My favorite saying of his was this, the floor is level at the foot of the cross. Every single human being falls short of God's perfect standard for us. And we need to remember that. 
I need grace as much as every single person here needs grace. After that last stone had fallen and the last accuser had left, the woman was left there trembling on the ground and only Jesus was there. And Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He had every right to execute the judgment himself. He would have been justified in doing so, but he didn't. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus' mercy was extravagant. His grace was unprecedented. I imagine that in this moment, the woman began to slowly look up. And for the first time, she looked Jesus in the eyes. And she saw him looking at her in a way no man ever had before. With genuine love. With genuine compassion. Not asking anything from her, but giving her this tremendous gift. Jesus truly wanted what was best for her. And it was with that in mind that he looked at her and he said those words, Now go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. In effect, Jesus was saying, The decisions you're making are killing you. They don't lead to life and they are not leading you to follow me. I've given you mercy so that you can be transformed. You've received grace. Now go and live your entire life in response to the grace that you've been given. I'd imagine that there are many here who can relate to the woman in this story. I'm sure that there are many here who are feeling the pain and the brokenness and the shame that's caused by sexual brokenness. The woman in the story found herself in a place that she could not get out of on her own. There was no way that she could. She was thrown at the feet of Jesus. She was left completely at his mercy with all of these people just waiting for any word to start throwing stones. She needed assistance to move forward in life. Perhaps there are those here who also need assistance in moving forward in life. If we're to find healing, we need to first recognize our own brokenness. We must take that brokenness to God, and we must recognize that we cannot heal ourselves. We must take our damaged selves to the God who wants to transform us. And as part of a church community, we can also go to other people, people who love us, who genuinely care for us, and who want the best for us, and tell them about our brokenness and ask them to support us. Ask them to hold us accountable. Today, Jesus invites you to come to him. He invites you to come and receive his mercy and then walk out of here into a new life with new hope and new purpose. So may you be transformed by the God who says, I don't condemn you. And may he lead you into a new life, free of guilt and brokenness and shame. And may you enter this life that he has for you, a life of freedom and joy and transformation. Please pray with me.
Oh, Lord, this has been a, a hard topic, but it's one that is just filled with your grace and your mercy at the same time. Lord, I, I just pray that these three movements w- would happen in our lives, that we would see our own brokenness in this area, that we would all see how we have broken your command. That's the first movement. The second movement, Lord, help us to, to, to come to you and receive your grace, to receive your mercy that we don't deserve. And then, Lord, the third movement is for us to then take that grace and to be transformed, to live our lives in a new way so that we might live into all the promises that you've given us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.